46 at this time. We're going to continue standing for one more moment in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning. And our text today is Psalm 146. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Psalm 146 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. May God bless the reading of this word. Please be seated at this time. Give me the water. Well, I want to welcome you to White Oak uh, this morning. Uh, I've seen a few uh, fathers come in, and so if you weren't here at the very beginning, we watched a, a video in honor of Father's Day about our dads. Uh, we invited all of our fathers to stand up, and uh, we also clapped for them. But you know, let's do it again. Let's do it. All fathers, stand up for me. I've seen some new ones come in. Stand up. If you're a dad, stand up. Thank you. Thank you. For all the stress that you've been through, you deserve at least two rounds of applause. That, that's, that's the way that I see it. So uh, but I want to welcome you into White Oak this morning. Uh, if you're visiting us for the first time or the first time in a long time, uh, we've been going through the Psalms, and uh, this is our third summer to do this. And so uh, we figure that summer is a really good time to look at the idea of prayer and quieting ourselves and reflecting on our walk with the Lord. And uh, one of the things that I think we often need to reflect on is are we living a life that praises God? I think that's one of those things that we hear in the Bible. We hear the word praise. And if you're like me, sometimes I feel convicted because I feel like I don't do it enough, right? Like I know when I come to church on Sunday morning, I'm gonna praise the Lord, right? It's easy when Lindsay's singing and we've got the right lighting and it's easy when we're in this beautiful chapel, you know, but it's in traffic and it's on your lunch break at work and it's when the baby's crying and it's all those things. It's like, am I praising God? But I wanna look at the idea of praising God this morning because it's such a dominant theme in the Bible. But the title this morning is Praise the Unavoidable Response because what I want to help you to see this morning is that it's not so much about praise when it comes to praise, but in reality, it's just about seeing who God is and properly responding to what he's done in your life. And I think this relates really well to Father's Day. Because I was thinking about it this week, and it, it just reminds me, we, we celebrate our dads one day out of the year. And so maybe if we're, you know, if we grow to be, I don't know, 70 or 80 years old, it's like we only spend 70 or 80 days celebrating our dads in our lives, at least in a really focused manner. But I, I love fatherhood because I think when you look at it, it makes sense why Father's Day exists. 
Because when you see what our parents and our, our fathers do for us, it, it almost wouldn't make sense to, to not honor them in a special way. Like when you see the changed diapers and the, all the nights they stayed up late waiting for their kids to come home safe and all the times they taught you the right thing to do, even though you kept doing the wrong thing and the wrong thing and the wrong thing and the wrong thing, and their persistence to show you what to do in this life and how to live. It would make natural sense that we honor God. And I think that when we talk about praising God, I think it makes sense in the same way because I think when you truly see who God is and what he does, you can't help but praise him. Because when you think about it, God is such a massive and impressive sight that we long to praise. And When it comes to impressive sights, I think the problem is oftentimes that we spend the bulk of our life looking at unimpressive sights, right? We get on social media, right? And we see a bunch of garbage on social media. And we watch the news, and it's all of basically the worst things are happening in the world, right? So that's what I feel like every time we turn on the news, like, I wonder what are the worst possible things happening all across the globe. I want to fill my mind with the most divisive things possible. So let me flip it on here really quick, right? I think we also spend a lot of our times looking at ourselves and our lives. We spend a lot of times looking at our imperfections and the imperfections of those around us who maybe frustrate us or, or we don't like. But I found it uh, interesting this week that there was this, uh, this study that came out uh, from Michigan State University. And uh, I think I have a picture of here of uh, like an ocean. Is there a beautiful picture of an ocean? Okay, thank you. This will help with what I'm about to say. So there was a study that came out, and what they were trying to find out was, is it possible that looking at the ocean for extended periods of time, can it be proven scientifically to improve mental health? And so uh, Michigan State University partnered with, I think, a group in New Zealand because there's not a lot of beautiful oceans anywhere close to Michigan. And they took 450 people uh, in New Zealand who live somewhat close to a beach to make the study kind of easy to do. And they found people with different mental disorders all across the spectrum. And so some people with no mental health issues, people with things like bipolar and depression and sadness and all these different issues, right? And what they did was they gave them each varying levels of visual access to a beach that was near them. And they conducted a scientific study to see if people who looked for longer extended period of times at the ocean, if they had improved mental health, right? Because like everyone likes the beach, right? And it was astounding because they found out, and this just came out back in April, that they believe you can scientifically prove now based upon this study that looking at the ocean for an extended period of time at an impressive site such as that can actually improve your mental health. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that like really cool, right? Because we all like the ocean, but the thought that it's like scientifically proven is really cool, right? So if you've got issues, just go to the ocean. But I've got another ocean picture over here. And this is like an ocean picture from a mountain point of view. How cool is that? There's places in the world where they have like mountains and oceans together, right? We don't even have one of those in Houston, right? This beautiful, go to the next image. It's a dumpster. And I don't know if this is a famous dumpster. I just typed in dumpster to Google. This is the first dumpster that came up, so maybe it's got some incredible recognition or something for some reason. But it's, it's crazy. It really highlights it. Like, you've never been, like, looking at a dumpster and been like, man, I want to change my life, 
I got to get things together, you know? It's like, I got to be a better father to my kids, you know? You've never had that, like, like you've never looked at a dumpster and been like, I just feel like I'm a small little piece in this universe. Like, you've, you've never had that feel. You've never, like, looked at a dumpster and just been like, man, like, this life I'm living is so good. And yet, go back to the other picture. You look at that, and there's just something about it that is such an impressive view that makes you actually want to praise it. And I think when it comes to God and to praising him, I think the problem that we we struggle with oftentimes is that we don't really see him like we need to. We don't really understand his beauty and his goodness and his wonder. We don't understand really exactly what he does in our lives, and so we struggle to praise him. We come in here after a busy week, and it's sometimes hard to find the motivation to sing the songs and to actually believe them. It's hard to read the words of Scripture and to think, man, this is really real. But I I believe that if we can find a way to turn our eyes from the things of the world, and even in this one moment right here, and really focus them on who God is and who he's revealed himself to be, I honestly believe that we can become a people of praise and happiness and joy in all the things that God has for us. Because praise is the unavoidable response to God's goodness. Turn with me to Psalm 146, if you still have that open. Let's look at that really quick together. Psalm 146. I'm going to go through it verse by verse, and then I'm going to give some thoughts on it this morning. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. I love this. Because this is like one of like the very few places in the Bible where the sentence actually ends with an exclamation point. And sometimes I honestly wonder like when I read this, even in scripture reading, am I lying by not saying praise the Lord, you know? Like every time I read it, should I, should I say it like that, right? Because I feel like maybe it's a little bit like I should be more reserved, you know? But, but what if we were like to like praise the Lord, Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. He literally speaks to his own soul and says, God is good, praise him. But then in verses three and four, he offers the problem that we often face. He says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. For when his breath departs, he returns to the earth And on that very day, his plans perish. Sometimes I wonder, all the things we spend our life looking at, whether it be things on the internet or the news, our problems, our flaws, I kind of wonder, what are we thinking is going to happen in our lives if we look at these things? You know, study after study comes out about social media. And I, and I talk about it a lot because I, I struggle with it as much as anybody. I, like, love Facebook, you know. But I wonder sometimes when I'm looking at this thing constantly or even one of, like, the billion apps on my phone, I always wonder, like, what do I think is going to happen in my heart and my life and my soul that I look at these things so much? Do I think checking my email again is going to bring me the life that I want Do I think opening up Instagram again and checking how many likes I got of that photo, do I think that's going to help me praise God better in my life and achieve what he's called me to do? I think this word this morning is so important because I think probably we live in the most distracted time in human history. 
And this can be detrimental to us because if, as the author of Psalm 146 says, if the reason you praise God is because you see who he is, you dwell on what he's done, you think about the wonder that he is, then living in the age of distraction, there's a potential that we could miss it, isn't there? There's a chance we could miss it. There's a chance we could literally waste our life thinking about things that do not matter and dwelling on things that God did not put us in this creation to think about constantly. We have a great and glorious God, but we live in the age of distraction. And so then in verses 5 through 10, the author of Psalm 146, who actually we don't know who it is exactly, but the author tells us to look at the great things of God and thus then we will praise him. He invites us to turn our eyes back to our glorious and marvelous God. So starting in verse 5, he says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. We're, we're living before the God who created everything. And we keep checking email, right? Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. This is the God that we have The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. I love how he doesn't just say, just praise him. Don't think about it. Just do it. But that he gives us a list of all the wonderful thing that God does in our life. And says, look at these things and respond accordingly. You see, I think a good definition for praise, what does it mean to praise, right? Because it's kind of a, a Christianese, churchified word where we hear it so much that we like kind of forget really what it means. And I think a good definition of praise is to express genuine admiration, right? To express genuine admiration, And every one of those words is important, right? Because praise is something that you express, meaning it's like an outward thing. It's not just a mental thing. It can be, right? But usually when the biblical authors talk about praise, it's like express something, say something. That's why we gather and we sing because we're like expressing it through a beautiful art form. But then express genuine admiration, meaning that it can't be fake, right? You can't fake like somebody, right? You ever had someone who like would would praise you and they're trying to get something out of you, so they tried to build you up and you could kind of tell that it was fake, you know? Like, man, you look good today. They're going above and beyond, you know, and you know they kind of want something out of you, right? Praising God can't be fake. It it, it must be something that is genuine. It must be genuine admiration in response to who God really is. And I was uh, was reflecting this week, and I was going over um, a journal that I have. And I've shared with you guys before that I'm not like the biggest journaler, you know? Like it's just not in my nature to sit down and put on some music and write my feelings out. It's just not who I am. Um, But it's one of the disciplines I've committed in my life to like growing in. You know, I want to sit down, I want to reflect, and I want to write down what's going on. And so I sat down this week and um, it's funny, I don't journal a lot, but when you do it consistently over a few years, you actually get a few different journals like full of stuff. Like it actually comes, right? And it was crazy because I was reflecting and reading through some journals um, that I'd written a few years back. And there was some stuff, and this is crazy, there was some stuff in there that I read where like, at least in my life personally, I've seen God do some miracles in my life and some amazing stuff. 
I had forgotten about it, right? I think sometimes we think that like if we saw God do something powerful, we would remember it forever. But honestly, I think we're so distracted that we forget even the miracles. I mean, there was some stuff that were like some crazy stuff that God did in my life, some crazy answers to prayer, right? Some amazing things that he did. And yet I had completely forgotten about it because I had to go to work that day. And now I have a daughter, right? And she, she needs me every two to three hours when I'm home, right? I try to give mom a break, you know, because she's always with mom, right? And my grass is growing because it's summer, right? And grass grows so fast in the summer, you know? And I got to get that taken care of, right? And then I'm behind on my bills and I've got baby bills coming in. And I've got a lot of things going on. We're doing renovations at the church and a million things are happening. And it's like I, I missed the miracles that God did in my life three years ago. You see, I think when we stop and look at God and what he's done in our lives, and we begin to commit to a life of praise, I think we find ourselves postured in the place that we were created to live. Because think about this. If heaven, by definition, if, if the primary thing about heaven is that it's the unfiltered presence of God. Like, like the thing about heaven that the Bible talks about where God will dwell with us in a special way, right? There'll be a different thing. Like he will wipe away all sin, all tears, all death. We'll spend eternity with him forever. His presence will literally dwell amongst his people in a powerful and in a special way. If, if his presence and if thinking about him and being in the midst of his presence is what makes heaven heaven, then I think you could also make the argument that the moments in our lives where we focus on God, spend time with him, and praise him, it's almost as if we're kind of getting to heaven early. It's almost like we're the first ones to show up. It's almost like we're experiencing something and we're like gazing through a window into a world in which we will one day live. And it's the real world and it's the good world. And it doesn't contain the problems of our current world and the struggles that we have in our current sin, the people that have sinned against us. We're looking through a window by praising God, by dwelling on who he is, not who we are, not what we've done, not the problems going on in the world. We're looking at him and we're focusing on him in a way that we're experiencing to some degree what heaven will one day be like. We have a window in this world today into heaven and that window comes when we praise the Lord our God because we see what he has done and we are captivated by who he is. I remember when we bought our first house, um, I had my, my budget in mind for, for how much we could afford and um, it wasn't very much, especially if you're trying to buy a house in Oak Forest in comparison, right? So I had my budget, and I had in my mind the kind of house that we were going to get. And it was a standard Oak Forest house, but I figured it probably wouldn't be the, the best house. And probably we'd have to have a bunch of things we'd have to fix on it if we could even afford it, right? But we were just going to buy some kind of a house, and we are just going to move in, and we were going to make it happen because we, we wanted to live in the community. And I remember... We were looking for, for quite a while, and we stumbled across the house that we actually own today. And uh, it was a for sale by owner, and so it wasn't like super popular on the market. It was kind of flying under the radar. And there were some things about it initially that kind of turned people away, I think. But when you really evaluate the house for what it really was and where it was located, it was like super undervalued. And then I went to actually knock on the door to see if I could buy this guy's house, you know, just like old school, you know, walk up, like, how much are you asking for it? Can I afford that, you know? 
And I remember knocking on the guy's house, and it was like this crazy circumstance where I happened to like know this guy, right? I had actually just met his son and spent time with his son because I worked at a place that his son went to. And uh, it was like this total God thing, right? There's like, you know, thousands and thousands of houses in Oak Forest. And the one I go to is a guy whose son I just happened to meet. And his son was awful, you know, but I was kind of patient with him. And so like my godliness felt like was paying off, you know. I was like, God, you, I, I sowed that seed and God's like bringing a harvest from it, you know. And, uh, and I, I met the guy and, and the price he was selling it for was like super affordable. And I remember whenever we, we bought it, I was shocked because I was like, man, I thought for the money we were going to spend, um, I didn't know we were going to get a house this nice, right? And some of you might think my house is not very nice, but I think my house is kind of nice. You know, it's small, but it's, it's nice, you know. And I remember whenever it got to the point where we were closing on it, um, I would like look for any excuse to drive by it, you know, because I was so giddy about it, you know. And it's like, oh, I'll go, I'll go get some milk at Food Town, which I never go to, you know, just so I can kind of go on that way. And, you know, I, I was like driving all over the place and I was coming to White Oak. I would take the long route so I could drive by my house. And this one day I actually did something kind of creepy. I, um, I, was, uh, I knew he was out of town because they had already moved. And I was driving by the house and it was kind of getting to the point where the sun was starting to set. It was in the evening. And I knew he wasn't there. And as I was driving by, I realized that he had left the, the, the front curtain open on the window, the blind. And I got out of my car. I never even told my wife this, I don't think. I, got, I parked my car in, in the driveway, you know, because like one day that was going to be my driveway, you know. It's crazy. You know, we take it for granted. But when you've never owned a house and you pull into your driveway, it's like the concrete feels better on your feet. It's just absolutely amazing, right? And so I pulled my car into what was going to be my driveway, and I got out of the car and tried to act like I lived there so I didn't get the cops called on me or anything, you know. And I remember he left the blind open, and I walked over to the window. I remember gazing into the window and looking at this house that I was going to own. And I remember just being in awe of the the beautiful, recently refinished hardwood floors I remember looking at the fresh coat of paint that was on the walls and the kitchen. You could see all the way through the house to the backyard. And my, my backyard has this kind of cool, like, foresty kind of feel, which is really random in the city of Houston. And I remember looking all the way through the house out to the backyard and seeing that foresty backyard. And I just remember the happiness and the joy and the thankfulness that I had that, that one day this was going to be fully mine in a special way. And I say that because whenever we praise God, I think that's kind of what we're doing as we sojourn through this life. This world that we're living in is not the way it's always going to be, the Bible says. There will come a day when every tear is wiped away from every eye, where we don't struggle with sin, where we don't get heartbroken over bad stuff. There will come a day when Christ will return, and on that day, he will make all things new. And we will literally dwell in the presence of God. And in the moments when we look at who God is and what he has done and what he is doing in our lives, it's almost like as we're sojourning through this world that often, so often feels like this horrible desert valley that we look upon the presence of God and we gaze into the home that we will one day have forever. Because whenever you see God, the unavoidable response is that you would praise him and express real admiration. But real quick, just practically, right? Um, How do you actually praise God? Like, okay, that's great. I want to gaze into the window, John. That sounds cool. That's cute, you know. I want to do that, you know. But but how do I actually do that? I've got a list of things right here, but I think it starts with with this. And I think this one's hard in our world, so I'm going to start with it. 
you have to focus and think about God and who he is. You have to sometimes even eliminate all the distractions around you and let God have your full, undivided attention. And you have to have those moments and those times, right? I love listening to podcasts. When I go to lunch and when I do everything I do, I'm listening to a podcast, but I'm kind of like halfway listening to it, right? You know, it's crazy. I have like my phone now. And so like I can literally watch all of my television wherever I go on my phone. I can be driving I can be on the phone, and I can be watching my television on my iPad everywhere I go. I, can be, I, mean, I don't do that, right? But I could, you know? To praise God, you have to think about him. You have to focus on him. You have to eliminate distractions. And that can be reading the Bible. That can be prayer. That can be singing songs to him. It doesn't have to have, be a, a certain perfect ritual, but you have to find a way to, for a while, only think about him, only think about the world that he is creating. You know, only look at the ocean, right? Don't, don't look at the dumpster. You know, you got to get away from the dumpster, right? And you got to look at the ocean. you got to set your mind on things and give God a chance to show you what he's doing in the world and what he can offer to us in our lives. You have to recount his wonderful deeds. I wonder when the last time was that you sat down on a piece of paper and you wrote down in the entirety of your life some of the best things God's ever done for you, the prayers that he's answered. Like the psalmist says, the have, when was the last time you thought about the God who made the heaven and the earth, who executes justice for the oppressed? When has God been your savior in those different circumstances? When has God provided for the needs that you have? When has the Lord set you free? As the psalmist says, the Lord sets the prisoners free. When, was, when has the Lord opened your eyes to something you were blind to? When was the last time God lifted you up from something that you were bowed down? When was the last time God taught you and instructed you? When was the last time the Lord came to you when you were lonely? Have you recounted his wonderful deeds? We learn about God. We sing to him. We obey him. And then one other question might be, okay, John, so if it's an unavoidable response, how come it's so easy to avoid it so often, right? And I think it's often because, as it says in verses 3 and 4, we're singing the praises of princes and not the king. We're singing the praises of things like money and our status, TV shows, food, a person, all good things, all things that have a great place in our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's a story um, in uh, Luke chapter 19. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. I want to let Jesus enter the scene. And in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, there's this kind of amazing image that Jesus offers us that I really think sums up everything that we're talking about. And this is the moment when Jesus has kind of come to the world and he's uh, lived his life and he's done his earthly ministry. And he's literally, it's, it's kind of crazy. When you look at all the things it says in Psalm uh, 146, like all of those different things, like God did. Like all those different things, like, like Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry, Jesus did those things. But turn with me to Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, starting in verse 28. It says this, And when he had said these things, 
he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he's about to make his triumphant entry into the town. He's done all of his miracles, all of his works. People are starting to believe he truly is the son of God. He's, he's entering in his triumphant moment before he's going to go to the cross. And then it says in verse 29, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. And where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and then bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as they had told him. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And then they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as Jesus rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Just quick note, that's one of the very few times the word praise is actually found in the Gospels. It says they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And I love that image. Because what Jesus is saying in that moment is that if anybody sees this, it is impossible that all people and all creation cannot cry out and say, praise God, this is amazing. You see, essentially what Jesus says when he says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, is that praise is the unavoidable response to God's goodness. That whenever you see the power and the work of Jesus in your life, unfiltered, untied to all the things that distract us, that we can't help but live a life that is continually wanting to admire the goodness of God. And so in closing, I want to close with one more scripture, if, if you don't mind. It's uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. It's a pretty common one. Turn there with me. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, if you have a Bible. And as we close looking at this idea of, of praise, I think it's interesting because the word used for praise in the original language in the Old Testament, one of the most common ways you could also translate that same word is to make clear. So whenever somebody is praising the Lord, it would be like saying to make clear like who the Lord is. Like it's a word that can be interchanged. And I think that what we find in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is that if praising God is the result of seeing him, and if praising God is the result of knowing who he is and knowing what God has done and reading like it says in Psalm 26, who executes justice for the press, who gives food to the hungry, who sets the prisoners free. If praise is the unavoidable response to the goodness of God, then it all of a sudden becomes true that Jesus Christ himself amplifies our praise because God has literally revealed his face to humanity. 
see, Christianity is not just an ambiguous image of God. Christianity claims that the image of God has come to the world, that we've actually seen him, that humanity has watched God in the flesh open the eyes of the blind, that humanity has actually seen God come in the flesh in a man they call Jesus Christ to give people guidance and purpose, to reunite them with the God that we so long to be with. And that not only that, but that this God that we look at died for us. That the one who has the power to make the heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, the God who has all the power in the world died because we fell short of his glory. And, and you look at this and you're like, can this even be reality? Is this even true? But the Bible says that it is. If praising God is the result of what we've seen in God, then whenever we see Jesus Christ and we hear his message, our lives and our praise should be white hot. Let's close by reading Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Talking about Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So the last thing I'll say this morning is that if you're asking yourself this morning, how do I start praising? Where where do I begin? I think praising God in this day and age begins kneeled down at the foot of the cross, seeing what God has done for you and done for me. And just properly responding to the reality that God has died for us, that God has risen for us, and that God is taking us with him in this new world that he is creating. Your divine purpose in this life that God has for you begins by praising God at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we see what you've done. God, you have done everything and you've done a great work in this world. And Lord, I just pray you would help us to filter out the things that we've been focusing on that that don't lead us to the life that you have for us. God, if I had to guess, maybe 90 to 95% of our vision is given to things 
that don't lead us in the right direction. But I pray this week that we would recount your wonderful deeds, that we would see how much you love us, and that then we would desire to praise you, to express a genuine admiration, and that we would praise you and, oh, but just for a moment, taste heaven as we walk through this valley. I pray if there's any eyes in this room that are closed, anyone who's not sure about Jesus Christ, I pray that you would just blow their mind with who you are and what you did for them on the cross. I pray if there's anyone who's lost this morning, maybe they're a believer or not a believer, lost in this life, I pray you would give them a fresh start at the foot of the cross that you would remind them how loved they are and that you would then send them on their way to what you've called for them. I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.